This is the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan-Nathan and Peter Gowers. Thanks to Ward Keller, the Territory Law Firm. Hello there. Welcome to you wherever you're listening. This is the Territory Story Podcast Weekend Edition. My name is Peter Gowers and I'd like to introduce you to the co-hosts, Mr. Leon Logan-Nathan and from the NT Independent Online Newspaper, Mr. Christopher Walsh. Gentlemen, hello there. Okay, in order of appearance, hello. <laughs> nice. Hey, hey guys, good to be with you. We sound like a slick operation, don't we? Hey, how about that? <laughs> so have you been taking anybody down this week, Walshie? Oh, man, like, you know, the amount of rumors that are going around now, like after that, and I've kind of touched on that before, or just it so happens that, you know, Darwin's the place where 95% of them are true, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, look, there's some other stuff brewing. Um, we're going to have some good, good stories early next week. Uh, well, and probably before this airs too, but, um, anyway, yeah, we'll just keep going. But of course people, the government needs to be held to account for their actions. And, uh, that's what we do every day. Does it feel to you that as a result of obviously the uh, scandal that's been uh, making headlines for the last couple of weeks, does it feel to you as though it's just sort of heated up the news cycle, uh, you know, or elevated it beyond what it was prior to that? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Everybody's working a little harder, but it, and it's been kind of slow now, like this week in terms of things. And um, yeah, I, I think that. You know what, what I found really interesting is that the government ha- hasn't come out this week at all to do a press conference. I mean, now, mm. granted, I'm not invited to any of them, but <laughs> I usually catch them somehow. And Yeah, um, yeah. Even if and, there was uh, one, you wouldn't be there. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be there, but I would have heard of it after the fact. So, uh, but yeah, I find that really interesting. The government's really lying low here uh, outside of Gunner giving a few things to the NT News that, you know, he wasn't questioned on. Um, he's definitely lying low. And uh, the rest of the team, too, you know, usually, I guess, you know, Files was, was out did a radio interview today, but they're not doing any press conferences. And it's really interesting because in a press conference, y- y- they get asked questions about other things and what they mm. tended to come out and talk about. And one of the big questions would probably be, you know, does the chief minister still retain your support right. as leader? Because after what we saw this week, uh, in terms of his leadership taking a hit and what the party did to him, and, and we'll talk about that in greater detail later. But but that is very interesting, and it's and it's quite telling. I think that that nobody's coming out to take that question. That they know that question is going to be fired at them. Mm. And um, you know they've got some internal issues that they're dealing with. Like we've heard reports that uh, that some meetings, some high level meetings, have been going on of how they're going to deal with with this still, and with some other things that may be coming out. And it's really yeah, it wouldn't be a pleasant time to be the chief minister in Michael Gunner's chair. And um, look, I guess it, it, they can only kind of hide out for so long and, and things are going to, the pressure is going to be applied and, and answers are going to have to be provided. So yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see what happens, but it's been an interesting week. Hmm. Well, let's kick it off, mate. Uh, there was an announcement uh, today um, about the uh, federal government coming out as a part of this COVID assistance package given that the job seeker payments are going to come to a a stop and they are going to now try and boost the tourism industry with half price flights to various destinations and i understand including darwin and alice springs 
Uh, well, Woo-hoo! yeah, now. <laughs> yeah, well, now, like, you know, the, the, the crazy thing is how, so it's Thursday night now, so Thursday morning, this morning, um, Darwin wasn't on that list, right? You had the only NT places were Alice Springs and Uluru uh, to stimulate uh, yeah, tourism in those areas, get cheap flights. Um, so that, that started, and then it, it, very interestingly, you know, the uh, federal minister, tourism minister, Dan Tian, ends up on, on Katie Wolf's program on Mix 104. And, uh, well, she, she did a good job. I don't know if she, if we can give her credit for all of this, but, you know, she's the one who was on him saying, well, wait a second, why isn't Darwin on this? And he says, no, no, Darwin is on this. And she said, well, it wasn't on the list. And then he says, um, no, no, Darwin, Darwin's on it. It'll be taken care of. And then she said, you know, just to be absolutely clear here, because you can't give people false hope here, the tourism operators who've done it so tough in the top end, the, the, you can't just say that and then it not be accurate. And again, he, he triples down and says, no, no, it's on there. Then apparently he gets off the, that interview and the, the prime minister's office then puts out a statement saying, no, Darwin's not on the list. <laughs> oh, <wow>. <laughs> everybody's <laughs> like, what is going on here? And then they, they, they backflip again. Then, then Katie has Sam McMahon, Senator Sam McMahon, CLP Senator. She, she gets involved. And next thing you know, she's on uh, After Hours, Katie Wolf After Hours. It was like 1230 or something. Her show usually is at 12. <laughs> and she came back on and she had Sam McMahon saying that she had just got off the phone with the deputy prime minister, Michael McCormick, who said, yeah, OK, Darwin's on. Fine. You can have Darwin on this thing. Now, she's taking credit for it, Sam McMahon. And uh, definitely, like, you know, I, I don't blame her for coming out and saying that because uh, when you look at how this all happened, it looks like a, a complete embarrassment and stuff up for the federal government here, um, which ultimately I think that they had to, to acquiesce and say, okay, well, we'll let Darwin into it this time. Now, Sam McMahon claims that she had talked to uh, the federal minister. No, I guess it was Michael McCormick, yeah, deputy prime minister on Wednesday night and demanded that Darwin be put on it. He said he would think about it. Uh, so there you, you get into some, to some spin there of exactly how they're going to do it. And, oh, well, you know, we stuffed up, let's give Sam the credit for this here. Um, so it looks good for her, but, uh, it seems to me that if you just look at the facts of how it all unraveled, that they didn't mean to say that they did say it, they then negated that and then had to go back around <laughs> on it and say, yeah, okay. We'll Mate, do it. So if you're talking about a local story, you could very well be talking about the Labour Party here. So it's, it's remarkable that you're talking about the, the Fed and it's yeah. another Coen Brothers movie. <laughs> exactly. We, Yet another. We, we expect more from the federal government than this, these kind of embarrassing flubs and stuff. Ups. But, hey, look, ultimately, good news for Darwin, the top end. Uh, you know, they had the, the tourism top end general manager, Glenn Hingley, was on ABC earlier saying how disappointed he was. How, um, you know, he feels so sorry for many of the businesses around the top end that are still struggling despite, you know, the stimulus campaigns and everything else. I mean, they were really dejected when they got up this morning and saw that Darwin wasn't on the list yeah, of the 13 destinations. And so mm. he's on there venting his frustrations. And an hour later, you know, Tian's on with Katie Wolf on Mix saying something else entirely. So then everybody has to come back to the table, I guess, and realize what their talking points are going to be. And they, They've come out now and uh, and warmly accepted uh, well, Darwin being on that list. So hopefully it does. Hopefully it does help. That, that, that's a good thing because I, I I just wonder with half price flights to Alice Springs and uh, all the the fantastic um, 
shenanigans that are going on down there in relation to crime. Yeah. <laughs> it's just got to be the best <laughs> advertisement for the NT, isn't I it? I know why it's half price. <laughs> <laughs> it'll be you a know, real... Yeah. It'll be yeah. a real. Uh, I, I think those t-shirts see you in the NT. Just fly <laughs> out the door, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's you got to think too that the, the, the maybe the federal government, when they did actually come up with the solid plan, they'd then change. But when they came up with the first plan, let's say that maybe they thought you know Darwin will be okay on its own. We need to we need to target a place like Alice Springs and, and Uluru to get tourists into those locations, maybe more so than top end. But of course, yeah, it came at the expense of how people up here saw it as uh, well. Why them and not us? So the government now has said Darwin, but um, yeah, you know, uh, I guess they'll compete against each other here now too. Really, um, I was also thinking about that guy there. that left. Uh that left his car at the border and they found it. Uh, <laughs> He'll need to get back. that back. He'll have to come back and get his car. <laughs> he's, he's cheering tonight. Half price back from Darwin. <laughs> <laughs> he, he left his thong somewhere as well. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, he was there for a while. Maybe at the detention centre. <laughs> Crazy. Uh, but now, can I just ask another question about this because I didn't quite get it from the article, but – do, yeah. Is it free flight? Uh, is it a half price to Darwin? What about from Darwin? Yeah, that's what somebody was saying today too. Now, yeah, I didn't, I didn't get involved in the story. I didn't write it, but I think that I don't know. I, I it's my understanding that it would be like you know, return airfare, yeah, price, right? You'd think so. Yeah, that that so, means we can travel to like places. We'll double like, check. You know, yeah, yeah. Melbourne and Perth, perhaps. Uh, well, so, so <laughs> yeah. here, here, here you're welcome. Other, here are the other places that that. So there were 13. There's now 14. The other places. So you had Alice Springs and Uluru. Um, the other places were Avalon, Broome, Burnie, Cairns, Devonport, Gold Coast, Kangaroo Island, Launceston, Marambella. McKay, I say, I think you guys say Mackay or something, mm-hmm. and uh, the Whit Sunday's Sunshine Coast. So, yeah, kind of the, the tourist kind of destination places. Um, so, yeah, hey, we can all take advantage of that too. So, don't fool yourself into thinking it's to Melbourne Leon because Avalon is nowhere near it. I oh, know that, mate. <laughs> don't worry about that. <laughs> I'll just trick in the book. <laughs> hey, just on that, if you are looking for some cheap airfares, and we are absolutely not paid for making this statement, but I will tell you because I was looking up some fares yesterday. Uh, so, if it's not still, if they're not still available when you're listening to this, my apologies. But Webjet's doing some crazy deals at the moment where even though Qantas and Jetstar and Virgin are charging their normal prices, Webjet's able to give you like 100 or $150 off those same prices. So if you are looking to travel, that could be the way to book it directly through Webjet and not the airlines. You better ring them up and get your commission after this. <laughs> <laughs> I said we're not getting commission. <laughs> So uh, while she uh, continuing on with uh, all things about governments and uh, a story today about the Medical Association questioning the NT government's ability to run the International Quarantine Centre based around their ability to recruit enough people. Yeah, so remember uh, Australian Medical Association uh, NT President, uh, Dr. Robert Parker, uh, you know, kind of felt a little shafted, I think, overall, and how the government handled everything and really kept the AMA out and didn't include them in any of the um, 
the COVID stuff that they were developing and the and the plans and stuff. Uh, so there's been some friction there between between the AMA and the NT government. Uh, but like he says, you know, there there's issues here. So remember that. So on Friday, the big story was the you know Michael Gunner came out and he announced that. He's, he signed this new deal with the federal government that will see the number of repatriated um, Australians coming back through the Howard Springs International Facility to go from 850 people to 2,000 per fortnight. Now, that's a substantial jump. I mean, that's more than double. Um, yeah. He said that, that the government now, so remember, the NT government was running the rave section. <laughs> <laughs> the quarantine. Where, I recall that. Yes. Yeah, where the parties were yeah, every, yeah, every yeah. Saturday night. Yeah, after so, after dark section. Yeah, and then yeah. the guy, and then the the woman who jumped the fence and stuff. Yeah, See, that yeah. was all under the NT government watch. Oh, nice. And what they were doing, and then on the other side, on this other kind of wing, you had um, the professionals. You had the Osmat team, and I should say that they're all health professionals, but I just mean in terms of, of governance and stuff that the, the, the way the federally funded Osmat team kind of handled that international quarantine where y- you had some pretty serious cases coming in, right? Like those mutant strains yeah, yeah. Um, were there and you had people coming from all over the world going into this um, and there were no issues, you know, no reported issues that, that anyone can point to of, of any stuff up there on their part. So look, they, and then that becomes... As, as everybody throws around this term, the gold standard for um, for quarantine facilities across the country and maybe even in the world. But um, a lot of that had to do with the professionals that they had running this thing. And, you know, it was it was led by uh, Len Nataris, who you guys probably know, a longtime Territorian who's been involved in health for a long time in different roles. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he got his team in there. They, they ran that very well. Now, where this starts to become a bit of an issue is, is, is does this become, well, look, so the NT government takes over it and they're saying, okay, we're going to run the international wing now and we need 400 more staff. Now, everybody across the country says, now, where the hell are you going to find 400 new health staff at this time? Like nobody could find that anywhere. I mean, that's just not going to happen. You've got issues here. You know, with the hospital being under-resourced here and over overrun, you know, with cases and with the uh, lack of beds there, you've got just all across the country. I mean, it's just going to be difficult. Plus, you want to make sure if you're bringing in these 400 new workers to look after this place, that they're trained properly, that they know what they're doing. This other group who did it with the 850 people, they clearly did. But, you know, the government has to train these people. And then do we get in this position where some of these are part-time workers again right who are going down to Domino's and making the pizza afterwards and (laughs) so I mean these are questions that aren't being answered still because they're saying oh well you know we'll figure this out in the next in the next over the next month um yeah just where they're going to get 400 is just crazy but uh I think the other concern there is that there seems to be you know when you talk to talk to some health staff on the ground there 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 seems to be some competition between the government and that Osmat team that was handling that and, and the police. And let's not forget that, you know, Jamie Chalker, the, the police commissioner is involved in all of this stuff here, right? He, he sees some money on the table. He sees that, Hey, that, that looks pretty good. I don't know what the, the total is on, on exactly how much money the, the feds will be giving the anti-government to run it. But Chalker comes in and, you know, he's asked about it and, and they say, you know, why are you, 
you're going to be in charge, I guess, because he says, no, I'll be looking after the 400 new workers. And they said, well, you know, why are you doing this? So, and he, and he says, well, I'm the territory controller. And I've been in charge the whole time. And I've uh, seen him on Thomas the Tank Engine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, you have. Um, yeah, so, so, yeah, the big guy, the tough guy comes in and says, you know, we're with this Chuck Yeager impression now, you know, the test pilot with the deep voice who talks like all the pilots. That's what he does. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, we'll be landing shortly. You know, so, so Jocker comes out, does that, says, I'm in charge the whole time. I'm running the show here. And it's okay, tough guy. Um, so, but, but really what's going on behind the scenes there is, is this just a play for the anti-government to make money off of this and, and for the police? Of course too? it is. And yeah, and you, but you got to think, is it to the point where they're going to skimp on things in order to take as much money out of that pot as they can for, to go into their general coffers, you know, mm. Docker's looking at it thinking we're, you know, we're, we're working with not a lot of cash here after everything and all the overtime and stuff. How can we get our balance? Our That's budget right. Yeah. Again? And so does that come at the expense of cutting corners? And I think that that that's what scares a lot of people. And so you, look, you get back to the to the Australian Medical Association NT and uh, Dr. Parker saying that you know finding these four hundred new new staff is going to be difficult. He said that, and, and and I mean this is just true, but he says in his area he has currently sixteen nursing vacancies that they that he can't fill. Partly because of skill base, but also because of incredible bureaucratic restrictions on employment. It takes a number of people signing off on issues uh, around how people get recruited, and they can, and and it happens much more quickly interstate that they can move on that things. He says, um, "Yeah, that that that's going to be a serious issue in getting the people here, and they'll need them, you know, somewhat fast. And then where are they coming from?" He says, "I'm not I'm not convinced the territory government is going to be able to recruit the number of staff." that's been put out there publicly. A lot of that has to do with the public service recruitment process. You can get locals quickly, but you can't get regular staff because of all these various things required by the public service to recruit. It takes up to a month to recruit somebody. It's a cumbersome process, he says, and he's not convinced that with that process in place, they'll be able to, to reach that number. Mm. Uh, yeah. Uh, you got to kind of figure that he's right on that. And also too, I mean, when he, when he's talking about the public service hiring press, I mean, he's going to be 400 more public servants. Um, how does that work really? I mean, how's, you know, what's, what's going to happen? Is it going to be contracts? I mean, there, there's a lot of details here and all of this that, that still aren't, are unknown. And um, yeah, I, I get why people would be concerned. This is, you know, it seems to be this thing that, 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 they wanted they wanted community transmission somehow. They tried with putting the military in the hotel there down in the city and said, Oh, yeah. surely there's gonna be community transmission now. And yeah. that didn't work. So now they're saying, All right, well, how about we do this? We'll take over running the operation from the from the pros here and we'll hire a bunch of people, four hundred new people. I mean, yeah, it looks like a recipe for disaster, but you know, you gotta hope that I mean maybe they're just pushing our luck to the next level here. I mean, we've been lucky this far, so so these are 400 medical staff, right, Chris? Uh, they're supposed to be health staff, yeah. yeah so, I mean, uh, look, one of the things that we've known about COVID is that uh, anybody involved in the health industry, medical industry, or, or teaching uh, are guaranteed jobs. So 
They're going to have to bring in 400 people from interstate or overseas. Yeah. Yeah. There's not going to be anyone hanging around locally to do it. No, but, 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 yeah. The process could, the process would be cumbersome just to get them here, let alone the recruitment process and whatever else the NT government has to do to engage them. I think, yeah, and I, and I think that, that, that Gunner has to be aware of that on some level. <laughs> and, you know, I, I just recall what he said on Friday, too, something about, you know, and we've got to get these people and train them. So you got to think that, like, okay, yeah. wait, so what, who are we talking about here? Are they health staff or they're going to be called health staff? Maybe they have no formal yeah. training or background in that. So there's, yeah, there's just so much stuff we don't know yet about it. But, um, yeah, well, we'll mate, Wish her luck. <laughs> yeah. Well, flowing on from that is a very, very interesting story, and it's something that you know we've been trying to follow for for a while now, and that is the rental market squeeze, uh, and apparently um, the expected influx of new health staff to run the Howard Springs International Quarantine Facility will put additional pressure on Darwin and Palmerston's already tight rental market. Yes, absolutely. So, look, we, we've we've heard about this. I think we did a story not too long ago. It might have been the end of last week about um, about that. And we had a real estate agent in town who was saying that a lot of it has to do with Asian expats. Lots of the market is um, is so kind of overflow, they're kind of heated already at the time. Um, and these people come in. I don't know. And they said, like, look, it's a shallow market here to begin with. So any type of 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 change that comes in will will be felt immediately and you had you had those people in real estate and people who were looking for rental units saying that you know the same time last year they'd go to an inspection of a place and nobody would be there right and this time there's 30 people all clamoring Mm. to get to rent to rent a unit so and this is before we've decided that we're gonna bring 400 new people in and (laughs) uh and all that so Uh, you know, the, the, the story is going around where that, uh, a lot of landlords are evicting people so that they can hike up the rent. Uh, and of course there was some legislation around that, uh, to prevent that, but I guess there are still some grounds and other people, yeah, have just seen their rent go up significantly. Um, and, and are basically probably in a position of feeling that they have to pay it or, you know, be, a, be homeless essentially. Uh, yeah. So. How this goes, I guess the, the Consumer Affairs Commissioner, Sandy Otto, had come out and, and I always thought that was interesting, just that people should probably know their rights and said that, you know, landlords can impose a rental increase, but are bound by the certain legal parameters. If you've got a fixed term lease, uh, there's a provision in that to increase the rent. It's usually around CPI, um, but the landlord can only do that if it's in the lease and then they can only do it once every six months. They can't just knock on your door and say, hey, look, the rent's going up tomorrow, cough up. <laughs> so there'll be a lot of processes they, they they offer assistance if anybody needs to get in it but yeah it, it just seems like it's going to turn what's become and i and i think about how funny that was that a year ago the rents were all dropping significantly here and now here we are can i just chime in here for a second and i'm not in the business of hoping that tenants get ripped off okay but i'm sure leon you'd have some stories along these lines but Exactly two years ago, when I was trying to rent a property in Darwin, as in trying to rent my property in Darwin, I had to give a month's free rent and two weeks for something else, plus 
the huge rental reduction to actually get tenants in there. Now, I, mm. I, I completely understand that, you know, people don't want to be paying three fifty one one week and then find out it's five fifty the next. I, I completely agree with that. But there's got to be some sanity in between because we also heard about after the whole Impex situation imploded that there was allegedly hundreds and hundreds of empty units in Darwin City. So and and a and a substantial oversupply in the market. So how do we suddenly have an undersupply? Because the population hasn't gone up by that much. Well, let me tell you that. Yeah. Okay, uh, I, I've been obviously you know, um, you know uh, I, I've been involved in the property market, the property industry now um, for eighteen years. I've seen probably three, if not four, cycles in that time. Uh, the first started with the Conoco Phillips project in 2005, and then we had a bit of a dip in in, in seven, and then in 2011 we had uh, the Impex announcement, and then uh, it peaked in about 14, 15, uh, and it's been in the doldrums for five years. It has, right? It is only now in the last three months that we've seen this uptick. And I think part of the reason for that is because no one has built anything for the last five years. Mm. You know, you think about uh, some of these uh, land releases where they just shut down because nobody was buying. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, and the government was trying to stimulate the hell out of the economy by giving away free money to first home buyers and even in some instances um, uh, people that already had houses just to try and stimulate the building industry. Um, so what we have had is probably, you know, and just think about it, you know, every year that goes by, kids, you know, finish year 12 and they be, you know, uh, and they go to the job or year 10 or whatever it is, there's more and more uh, addition to the population naturally. Uh, and nothing has been built or, or very little has been built during that time. Uh, so now all of a sudden it's sort of caught up. Uh, and I was interested to read that article that Chris was talking about from Kate Kilner. I think she was making some comments yeah. about Asians coming here, and I, I, mm. that was the first I'd heard of it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you've got COVID refugees, you've got uh, people that have just realised that it doesn't matter where they live now in terms of their job. So all these sort of factors. And then the other thing, and I think Chris uh, touched on this last week, is you've got landlords who have been sitting on their properties for the last five years because they couldn't afford to sell them. Mm. And I can tell you as a lawyer working for Ward Keller um, and having a family law practice, thank goodness I don't practice in that area, but I know what happens in that area. Yeah. There were plenty of people that separated but couldn't afford to sell their house because it was underwater uh, mm. financially. In other words, what they wanted to sell, what they had to sell it for to clear the mortgage was less yeah, yeah. than the mortgage. So the banks are not going to let that happen. And so people are sort of, in some ways, you know, had to stick it out together against their will because they just couldn't sell. So all of this stuff is, is starting to, to turn the other way now. 
And my worry is, because this is what happens with governments, they just do this time and time again, this overreaction. You'll have a few renters that will come out because there'll be a few idiot landlords out there that'll do stupid things. Mm. And, you know, a few renters will come out and say, you know, my landlord kicked me out or my landlord put up the rent by, you know, $200 a week. And, <laughs> and then the government will step in and over-legislate like they do all the time, right? Instead of allowing these things to just get determined by NTCAT and go through the relevant processes, they'll do this. I mean, we've already, we already saw it last year or, in fact, beginning of this year with the stupid pet laws, mm. you know, where landlords now have uh, – it's quite funny. I was on uh, rental.com the other day just to have a bit of a look to see what things were going for. And, yes, definitely uh, rental prices have jumped. But the number of – you can choose whether uh, to do a search that's pet-friendly or not. What's the point? It's landlord unfriendly. So, I, I look, there's, there's all of that going on. And, I, you know, I, I just got to be very interested to see, uh, Chris, you just watch and see this is bound to happen at some point. Uh, some constituent is going to whinge to some minister and we're, we're going to see it's dumb legislation come out. Well, it's, it's funny that you mentioned that, the pet laws thing. Like, I fully expect the NT government to put out a press release patting itself on the back and saying that we, we've done this with this pet legislation. That's why all of these units and everyone's moving here. It's just going to take advantage. Because going to bring their dogs and cats. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Bring their greyhounds uh, uh, gray yeah. with them. <laughs> yeah, look, yeah, I, I think you make a good point there, Leon, and uh, um, we'll see what happens here. But, yeah, certainly... It's it's changed. Yeah, I wonder then though. Does that mean that people will start building again here now? Like, is that overall good? And how yeah. sustainable is this? Do you think now? It, it really depends on this population that we've got. This population, yeah, but we can't really explain it, can we? Like, we're, no, we've got to get that guy back on the podcast, Pete. Um, oh yeah, Doctor. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, our, our SP bookmaking buddy, <laughs> the good doctor. <laughs> the good doctor. Yeah, yeah, Andrew. Right. Andrew, uh, I can't think of his last name. He'll come to me later. Yep. Yeah, I'll have to get him on to explain exactly what this is about. It's What's going on? This is a really it fascinating is. story, Chris. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree, and we'll we'll be following it. I, yeah, I want to see how this plays out and exactly what are the, all these factors. And you you gave a good overview. I think there's some other stuff out there too. So. Yeah, let's see what, what happens with this. It'll be interesting. All right. Well, look, let's move on to another fascinating story. And um, <laughs> this, I guess this is the cocaine sex scandal giving again, Chris, in some way, oh, because uh, yeah. our friend, the Chief Minister's leadership is in strife now after the parties rebuffed his call to expel the disgraced MLA, Mr. Turner. Yeah, that's right, Pete. So... Uh, th this was extraordinary, and, and as I was saying before, unprecedented, really. I mean, you, you've got the leader of a party referring an MLA who he says lied to him, misled him, misled Parliament, essentially has no integrity, is a lying sack of crap. And mm -hmm. he sends him off to the party to be disciplined and to be kicked out of the party. In fact, he says that. He says, I want him kicked out of the party. I've kicked him out of caucus. Uh, yeah. Parliament, so their little labor team Parliament. He's kicked out of that. I want him completely expelled from the party. 
So what happens is the opposite of that. And this can only be seen as the Labour Party giving the finger to Michael Gunner <laughs> later <laughs> and saying, screw you, buddy. That's not how this is going to go down. We're not kicking him out right, of, of, of the party. Now, there's, there's a whole, whole, whole lot of factors at play here. And one is that, that Aaron Early, who is the president of the, of the Labour Party NT, um, I don't think they have a current secretary. Remember, their previous one was Anthony Brereton, and the guy before that was a, a young man who likes to paint dogs, Ken uh, <laughs> Rowe. So you've got some issues here, right? And, and we'll get into him in a second. But the first being that Arana Early is president, and she is on the far left with the unions, of the, the, the left faction of Labour. And mm-hmm. Gunner's on the right. And, uh, and it was hard to gauge, like, I, I mean, I was calling everybody, I was calling everybody trying to figure out where everybody stood on this and where, if, if something was happening behind the scenes, because we know that politically the, the, the kind of parliamentary wing isn't doing anything. Mm-hmm. Um, they're sitting still and that they, they wanted, you know, it just seems like I'd said to you guys before, I think last week that. They're happy and content to keep their well-paying jobs, high-paying jobs, uh, and let Gunner be humiliated as the leader. I mean, who wants to take over that thing? There's no, there doesn't seem to be any push for change there. <laughs> um, but where I thought it would be happening would be with the unions and with the different factions and what's going on there. And I think there is something going on, and I think this was a pretty big indication of that. By, by, by not, by rejecting the chief minister's claims, the, the labor leader's claim, uh, well, his request to have Mark Turner kicked out by rejecting that, they've really, they've really kicked off something here that looks like a factional war. Uh, so, and I mean, there's no really other way to describe this. And I'll get into what he claimed the next day after I ran this analysis piece, which I'm sure... You know, I, I don't know. I had a lot of good comments on that. People saying, yeah, you know, we needed somebody to explain exactly what this meant and how this was going on or what was going on behind the scenes. So the other thing that we found here, though, that I think is very interesting is that Gunner, Gunner, there's a couple of things. First, Kent Rowe, Gunner's best, one of his best mates, right, is this guy, Kent Rowe. And it was the secretary and who ran the two campaigns. And he's the guy who's painting the pictures of dogs sending the pics around to the bondage mistresses of him late at night with his hands full as he said, he's, he's just, I said, you read that and you thought like, how is this the man who's advising the chief minister is one of his top advisors, but nevertheless he was until this and he was forced to resign, but Gunner doesn't refer him to the party. Mm. He refers Turner. And by all accounts, um, when he describes both of them, he says it in the same terms that they acted dishonestly that they misled him, that they didn't tell the truth up front about the nature of the relationship. And remember, it's the same woman that they're both involved with too, and they're both in trouble over. So, but he doesn't, but he doesn't refer him. And and why is that? I mean, if you've got to punish everybody equally for doing equal things. And in fact, in a lot of ways, what Kent Rowe did was worse because of his position, like who he was with the party, he's humiliated them. He's put himself in a position where he could have been blackmailed. I mean, Turner wasn't sending pictures around and there's no uh, evidence to suggest anything else maybe happened, but certainly there are accusations still hanging over Kent Rowe and other things that were done and that he's put himself in a position to be blackmailed more so than Turner did. Um, 
And, you know, when, when he's got a seat at the table with the chief minister and he has the chief minister's ear, I mean, who's to say what could have happened there? But anyway, so but, but Gunner doesn't refer him, but he refers Turner and they come back and say no. Now, one of the best parts of this, and I just thought when I'm thinking about it and talking to people, I thought, you remember the, the, the young labor guy who wrote the letter? We, we, oh, we yeah, 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 yeah. So he had the vertebrae and he said, you know, yes, we want yes. Turner to stay in the party. He's a good guy. He wants to legalize marijuana like us. who brought a lot of <laughs> activists in. And, you know, can you also help us, Aaron, our early president? Can you also help us find the chief minister's vertebrae? Yes. <laughs> and saying he has no spine. Oh, I thought it was a lady, a female. Um, no, uh, Letheria uh, Abbasing is uh no a, a gentleman it's yeah. a guy right okay. yeah so so but anyway so this was great right so this letter makes it to the floor of parliament and i mean we reported it uh the nt news reported it next thing you know it's coming up in question time that day and uh and gunner you could tell it really kind of bothers him it annoys him and he says something like that the, these kids should stick to producing Facebook memes while me and the other adults make all the decisions. Yes. I remember <laughs> yes. taking a little yeah. swipe at them there. Well, yeah. I'll tell you after what happened on Monday night, the public's just been shown that those punk kids have more clout than the chief minister <laughs> in influencing party decisions. They yeah. actually have more clout than him. They got their way. The, the party went with them and yeah. overruled the chief minister. That, if that isn't an insult to his leadership and questions now, of course, being raised. But and like I said, as we started this thing, it's so strange that nobody's out to be questioned about this because I think we put this up. I put this up on Tuesday morning and everyone's laying low. They're, they just they don't want anything right. to do with this because they know the question is going to be asked. What faith do you have in this man's leadership now? I mean, that, that he can't even get somebody expelled. And now I wanted to get back into this. So, so I run this on Tuesday. And we ran like the, you know, the straight ahead story of just this is what happened. And interestingly enough, Labor sent me the statement about how they were keeping Turner. Right. Now, they've been told not to talk to me <laughs> <laughs> so, by, by yeah. another guy, by a guy, but the same guy who's trying to tell them. So that's kind of two FUs yeah. to Michael Gunner in a span of 12 hours, really, because I think they sent it at 6 a.m. or something. So, um, so make of that what you will, but clear that, that something's going on in the party there and they're disrespecting the chief minister big time here on this stuff. So now, so, so he comes out and he realizes, and I, I probably should have played that up and mentioned that, that, um, that we actually did get the statement from, from Aaron Early, from the president of the party. So what's going on there with this ban on us isn't working anymore. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, look, I'm, I'm just kind of focused. I'm not throwing myself in it because I just want to see what's going on here uh, politically, but. He comes out then, and he and he goes to a friendly journalist that he has at the NT News that he knows he, he's not going to really get questioned about. And he then says, I don't know if you guys saw this there, he says that the rules are wrong. Like, the, the, the rules forbid uh, Turner to be... Like, Michael Gunner does this after the party makes a decision and doesn't mention anything about this rule. Yeah. And then Gunner says, oh, wait a second, the reason they made that decision... So he's speaking on Aaron Early's behalf now and telling and explaining to the nt news why the decision was made by the party that went against what his recommendation was so he says no there's a rule that and the and the threshold that you have to meet is really high 
in terms of expulsion. And it's something like five years. You got to be sentenced to, to jail term of more than five years or something. Right. I mean, there's, there's all this nonsense, which is, oh my God, it just, it just, and then he said something like, um, and so what I was writing to them about was how can we get these rules changed? Like, no, you weren't. You asked them to get rid of a guy. They wouldn't yeah. do it. And now you're making up a story. And sorry, nobody's buying that stuff. I mean, it was pretty, you know, what happened with the three? What happened with, uh, you know, Kenny Vowell, Scott McConnell, and Jeff Collins? They somehow yeah. got kicked out of the party pretty quick. And I'm yeah, sure. true. And I can guarantee that none of them are doing a five-year jail term for anything. <laughs> so, um, uh, yeah, this guy's just just completely floundering at this point and trying to grab onto anything. And, and you know, and then he's running. He, he gave a story to the NT News today about his favorite subjects and the no COVID vaccines will go to waste i mean of course not i mean who, yeah. what, what the hell are they talking did we about? think they it's were just, going to i yeah I, I look he's just grasping now to anything that he can he's still gonna he's still gonna ride covid for what it's worth and uh. squeeze the life out of that and so that's where he's at now but meanwhile you, you got a lot of stuff going on behind the scenes now with the labor party i mean this is this is an act of uh, a declaration of war um from the left faction to the right faction and then you know like i said the 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 dirt files are getting dusted off a lot of stories going around about other people other mlas other things going on inside the party so um this is far from over still and it just seems to keep bubbling along here but uh, i don't know what they're doing in there but uh to make it go away you got to do something you got to be firm and 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 end it and this just seems like it's going to keep going i think you'll get some other collateral damage along the way Chris, well, talking about collateral damage and keep going, uh, Leah Finocchiaro jumped into the mix. Over <laughs> yeah. this issue. That's right. So she's back now saying that um, that <laughs> that the fact that the Labour Party didn't expel Mark Turner is further proof that, well, a disturbing message that, that the party is sending that it condones dishonest conduct in government of course they they they're well aware of the allegations that are made against mark turner and let's remember because i see people still get a little confused about this point that he's not been kicked out of caucus he's not been referred for expulsion to the party he's not under investigation by the privileges committee for having an affair he's he's under investigation and he's had these things happen because of he allegedly lying and i don't even know if we have to say that i mean i've got proof in the text messages that what he said in Parliament was untrue. So this this is the issue. This is about integrity. This is about um, you know the integrity of the Parliament overall. That this guy gets up and, and did what he did and, and behaved in the way that he did. And uh, Leo Fanacchiaro is coming out and saying that they haven't taken this seriously enough. That uh, you know the the chief minister said he was dishonest. Uh, and said he should be gone for a profound lack of trust. Why should the people of Blaine still have him representing them? Saying that, you know, he needs to stand down, there needs to be a by-election. And, you know, keep in mind that the, the Turner won by 13 votes there. So this isn't like he he came in on a on a groundswell of support yeah. or anything, you know, for his policies, <laughs> or Michael Gunner's policies or anything. Uh, so, yeah, um, the, the one thing, you know, and she said, she said this, that if not Carol said, it's shameful caucus members won't publicly call for the resignation of Turner or condemn the chief minister for his role in the cover-up. The irony is if they did that, they'd be booted from caucus quicker than Turner was. Uh, and then she says, you know, how can Turner continue to represent his constituents at school assemblies 
public functions or on the floor of parliament with this all hanging over his head. Mm. The reality is he can't, and the people of Blaine deserve better. So, yeah, definitely sticking the boot in there. But look, raising well, some hope. points. Yes, she does. But let's yeah. just hope when the inevitable happens and the CLP is in government. <laughs> um, I do that, the same. Uh, you know, that she's sticking for the same hymn because uh, <laughs> you can be rest assured uh, if Crocs in the cabinet's anything to go by, that uh, we'll be seeing this movie again at some stage. Correct. <laughs> I, I, yeah. And I like that you said him sheet there. <laughs> That's pretty good. I think whoever they put up as the candidate for Blaine next time should probably not be associated with, with the him sheet. <laughs> Any type of religious paraphernalia or anything. I mean, they, they haven't had much luck with the religious guys out there. But, uh, mm. yeah, it's it, we'll see what happens here, too, in this. Uh, I mean, I don't know how long Turner can go on. I mean, some people think he can just do nothing and show up for the bare minimum. But I, I think ultimately that... Yeah, I think something's going to happen there. Can there be anything read into this about him? Is, is he uh, wielding some power in the background that we're unaware of? Is he some shining light that's going to sort of rise up and take over the party at some stage? Or is, is it yeah. not about him? No, look, I, like I said before, I mean, he's a, he's a police officer. Uh, he's not really a political animal. And I would doubt that he has the political yeah, instincts even to to try and do anything. But, you know, that being said, I mean, it's the NT, who knows, crazy things happen here. We've got a lot of people who who are in politics who probably haven't been in politics before and don't understand how it works. So he may find his way, you know, interestingly enough, too, you mentioned, about, so he's been completely silent, right? Like he hasn't, he hasn't said anything. The only thing we've heard from him are text messages and Facebook messages, but, um, so he remains silent, but I saw that he did post something on his personal Facebook page. Somebody sent it to me the other day, and it's of his electorate office, and and labor is taken off of it. It's scraped off, like the windows and the painting uh, around. Wow. Remember, it was closed for paint. Yeah. So just read into that, too, what you will. But yeah. um, I, I, I just can't imagine that this guy, like, I just, I've not seen anything impressive by him politically that he'd be able to be a, a strong independent member. Especially like, you know, Leo Fanacchiaro is right about this kind of stuff hanging over his head. I mean, how does he go to school assemblies, public functions and, and things like this when, you know, and privileges, you know, if they're doing their investigation properly, I mean, it's all going to come out that he did lie to Parliament. And I mean, is that is that the type of person who's, who's in there? And that's, that's you know, violating the code of conduct. Yeah. So it just yeah, I don't, the code I don't of conduct that. is optional. <laughs> yeah, well, for them, <laughs> for them, it seems to be. I just don't. I just don't see him being able to survive. But uh, you know, crazier things have happened here. Well, I'm going to test that theory out because I'm in his electorate. So uh, you're going to write him a letter again? In, in, well, uh, <laughs> write him a letter, give him a call, maybe text him, see what the go so, is. You know, <laughs> Leon. At some point, at some point, we have to tell the story about him and you, and you raising the issue of the NT Independent and what he said to you. I don't know if now's the time, but you know, it's something. You can point. do it. Uh, I mean, I, 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 have we not already done that? If we haven't, I'm happy I don't, to I don't think we've talked. Pete, have we, ta- have we told the story about the toilet paper? What? And oh, the oh toilet no. Paper. Not toilet paper. <laughs> Did you Remember? toilet paper his building? 
<laughs> well, I, I just got to say the irony of this. So, yeah, I, I really don't think we have, Leon. All um, right, go ahead. Yeah, so, 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 you know, with the ban that's on us, we send letter, we send emails to every single MLA saying, where do you stand on this ban? Um, and certainly everybody in labor as well, um, saying, where do you stand on this ban of the free press? And uh, none of them responded. Labor, anyway. I mean, the others did, but Labor didn't. And uh, I know that you, around that time, were, were getting very much involved with us and 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 giving your opinion on on that publicly when you were on ABC and stuff, and saying, you know, this is a fundamental thing, regardless of what you think of Chris Walsh and Owen Pike. It is, um, you know, about the freedom of the press. And I know that you did it quietly behind the scenes. That you went to your local member first about. Privileges committee, and there was talk about you know is is this a violation of the code of conduct? Is there something that has to happen with privileges? And then we saw that and how that all played out with Robin Lamley a couple of weeks ago when she tried to refer Gunner. Mm-hmm. But I know you went to your local member who happened to be Mark Turner, mm-hmm. and you uh, and you questioned him about it. And mm-hmm. and and I remember getting a very I, I I wouldn't say it was an angry call from you, but it was certainly there was some annoyance in your voice directed towards me after that meeting and i thought oh geez i wonder what he's talking about and you you called me <laughs> and so i just know it from my end and you said okay mark turner says that you that the nd independent was sending offensive emails to all members of parliament during the election campaign like offensive and 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 i was like wow what <laughs> and i'm trying to rack my head here what 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 did we do that was offensive to, like we wouldn't like i never authorized any offensive emails to anybody i mean I surely wouldn't do that. We're trying to start out here. We're trying to play everything straight here. We're not going to do that. We're not going to cross the line on anything. And uh, and then I got thinking about it some more. And I think I said to you, oh, maybe it's the questionnaire. You had said something about a questionnaire. And so what we had done before, like the oh, campaign, yes. so we, we wanted to get all of all of the candidates and give them a, a space to talk about, yes. you know, whatever they want to talk about. We had... It was called Humans of NT Politics, something yes. stupid like this. The, the intern kid we had, yes. the kid who just got out of high school was running this thing for us, right? <laughs> and it was some some stupid questions thrown around. And there was some like reply with a one word answer. This is the lightning round or something. And, yes. you know, there are questions like if you could have dinner with anyone in the in the history and in, in human history, I mean, who would it be and why? What what single bit of advice did you receive in your life that was you know most valuable to you? <laughs> you know, just just really broad things that like at the time of of coming up with them and everyone was throwing them around. I thought, yeah, we could use this to really paint a psychiatric portrait of somebody. <laughs> and then some of them I wanted to refer to a psychiatrist. Yeah. Some of the answers we got back. <laughs> 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 and I thought, like, yeah, we should do this. We should because it almost is that you get the anyway. So. One of the silly questions, you know, you got to keep it funny. You got to keep it light for people. You got to keep it moving. And the, there's always a question like, you know, years ago in the 90s, I think they asked like Clinton boxers or briefs, you know, and people were shocked by that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's just become silly now. But I think that the one that the kid came up with, which I got to say, like, I didn't even know what it meant. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's, it's an Aussie thing because I didn't know. And it, and it was folder. Fold- <laughs> yeah, folder or scruncher. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the that was the disgusting stuff you were sending that was that offended mark turner oh, to his core to his religious core wow. <laughs> now we know 
that he's out doing all manner of things wow. at all hours of yeah. night with bondage mistresses. Yep. You know, it. while his wife's home with the kids, but yet, uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. with that's your final scrunch is offensive. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just, I was shocked by that because I had to think what it was, and then I, I'm having to get in touch with the Alliance for Journalist Freedom to explain our position on this. And <laughs> like, hey, you, here it is. And they said, yeah, it's clear that it's a humorous question and among yeah. some other questions to elicit a humorous response. Yeah. Like, what's the issue? But this guy was so uptight that he, yeah, that offended him. But what he's doing now and lying to parliament, oh, that that's that's all right. <laughs> I mean, it's Jesus. generally part of the course, isn't it? I mean, Jimmy Swaggart, you know, Jimmy Baker. I mean, gosh, mm-hmm. Maybe he misunderstood the question. Maybe um, folding and scrunching is also a bondage term we're not aware of. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe you thought you're onto him, Chris. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah, I don't know. But anyway, we digress to that. Um, (laughs) Anyway. We'll we'll see what happens there in Blaine. But, yeah, let's just get somebody a little more down to earth. We should move on to our uh, final story before we get our special guest on tonight, and uh, that is in relation to uh, donations for electoral parties and uh, politicians. The CLP have breached breached the Electoral Act by failing to disclose all their donations, and uh, a major union aligned with Labor is also silent, according to a report. Yeah, that's right, Pete. So the uh, the NT Electoral Commission has uh, has publicly released this uh, BDO uh, report uh, that was prepared by BDO, which is um, looking into the, the the compliance of financial disclosures with the parties and candidates. And uh, that was among its findings. It found that uh, that the CLP did breach the Electoral Act that they didn't report. Something it was it was close to ninety thousand dollars the discrepancy of things mm. that they didn't report and they claimed that it was uh, that the CLP said that they hadn't uh, uh, I guess included in their returns receipts under fifteen hundred dollars um, so so you know all that stuff was in there it should have been reported and it wasn't and then it had one of its candidates too. Uh, from the election, and it's, it's unnamed. The, the candidate remains unnamed, but that they refuse to ask questions about their own personal campaign finances. I just figured, no, we don't need to do that. Uh, the, the, the lack of respect for the institutions. Again, we talk about this a lot here, but Jesus. And then the, the other thing was uh, they had also found what they call perceived deliberate noncompliance of, com- of campaign financial disclosure laws. Um, in, in certain instances, one of them was an unnamed independent candidate who didn't provide proper documentation of a loan that they had received during the election period because they wanted to protect the anonymity of the lender. <laughs> and uh, yeah, sure, sounds legit. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what the thing? It's called disclosure. You need to yeah. disclose that. That's the whole thing. Financial it was Xi Jinping in China. So. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I don't know. Now the other thing that was in here was the CFMEU. Again, they're kind of giving the finger to uh, to to the territories, institutions here, and democratic institutions by saying, "Well, look, you know, they they've been listed as a third party campaigner." Uh, the auditors who looked at it said, though, because they wouldn't open their books, it made it impossible to determine if the union had complied with 
complied with all of its obligations under the Electoral Act. So they said uh, uh, they said that they had they put up that that they had donated thirteen thousand two hundred dollars to labor, but they wouldn't let them see any any of the figures. So it, in their own books, so it was hard to determine exactly uh, you know what had come and whether it had what had come from CFMEU to labor and whether or not it had complied with its obligations under the Electoral Act to CFMEU as this third-party campaigner. So we still don't know. I mean, they just didn't do that. So so that's interesting to see where that goes now, because, of course, the report recommended that, uh, that certainly the people and the parties and the other organizations that, uh, that, that, that failed to disclose or failed to uphold uh, the Electoral Act and their obligations under that should be pursued and, um, you know, further action taken. What's uh, What are the consequences, Chris, or are they none? <laughs> well, yeah. I have to ask. It's, it's it's like, yeah. word. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we're going to find out from our special <laughs> guest, I think would probably be a better place to talk about that. But from what I understand, you know, there could be serious uh, penalties. I mean, it is, it is, it is law. It is the Electoral Act here. And Failing to do it. Now, I understand too that the, the CLP has today after the report came in and then provided updated financial disclosures that included that. Right. And, right. and who, whoever this mystery candidate is who decided that they weren't going to do anything that they've, they've now disclosed what they needed to disclose. But I mean, you got them breaching the, the electoral act. You got them breaking the law and. I don't see. Yeah, it just seems to me like they all just there's no respect here at all for the democratic institutions of the place or or the public that voted for mm. them. I mean, this is like you got to disclose this stuff now. Yeah, and we'll get into it with the with our guests. But Territory Alliance and the NTALP were found to be in compliance pretty much essentially with all of their returns. Uh, the Greens had some issues, but nothing too big. So most of them, and I mean, they said overall the compliance wasn't too bad, but I think the parts that where it's not complied are pretty serious when you're withholding 90,000 bucks yeah, yeah. of donations and not reporting them. That's an issue. And, yeah. uh, and so is the CFME. You're just saying not, we're not, we're not participating. So yeah, let's, uh, let's hear some more about this. Huh? But to be fair with the Greens, Chris, uh, they struggle to get their numbers lining up in a row ever, so it's not out of the uh, ordinary for them to come in with some rubbery numbers, is it? Well, no, so, so their only issue was they had a bank account set up that was just for the campaign, which they're all, they're, they were all required to. <laughs> and um, for some reason, they were putting money in there that wasn't for the election campaign. That was for other things or something. The candidates <laughs> were, I, I don't know. Yeah, well, I don't know yeah. what they were buying with it. But anyway, it wasn't campaign related. And they said, no, you should keep the campaign bank account just for campaign stuff. So mm. it wasn't too serious, but uh, it certainly wasn't in compliance. So. It was probably for carbon credits or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> um. I'm Don't trying be to be too harsh on uh, Kindle Trudgeon there, mate. <laughs> <laughs> I should say too the the other thing, and we'll we'll ask our guests about it too. But the uh, they wanted a volunteer register, uh, and I guess all parties were required to to set that up so that they could determine whether or not volunteer activity would would need to be required reporting as donations. And one of the other things that came up from it too was using electorate office resources for campaigning purposes. So this mm. is incumbent candidates, so already sitting MLAs. And that one got a little a little weird because one MLA apparently told these auditors that, oh yeah, um, there are there are rules around 
how we can do this. And I understand those rules. But another sitting MLA said there were no guidelines whatsoever. And so they yeah. didn't know what they could do or not do with their electorate office resources. Right. And uh, I guess we'll have to find out, too, if that if that actually means the electorate allowance itself or the electorate office resources. Because in the report, it, it, it kind of focused more on the office itself and staff and issues there. Um, but, yeah, you recall that uh, the, the ICAC had brought up some interesting concerns around um how how that electorate allowance was being spent and that was in the Kesey Purick report and exactly how they do this and really that they they're not they don't have to report that publicly they only have to report it to the ATO themselves and uh they can really spend that on any, on anything and in fact that's what we thought would be an issue here with the with the campaign is that they could save up this money and then be buying cakes and pies for everybody which yeah. They seem to do a lot of, but it's really taxpayers paying for all that. So, right. yeah, but we'll, we'll, we'll actually have some more of somewhat related to this early next week. So, yeah, we'll have a good stay start tuned. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, on that note, um, unless you've got something else to say, Pete. I was going to say exactly what you're about to say. All right. <laughs> uh, well, you know, we, a long time ago, we came to the view, Chris, there's only enough space on this podcast for one Logan Nathan. So um, right. having regard to the fact that you've got a special guest coming on that shares my name, I'm going to exit stage left and uh, let you guys um, carry on. Sounds right. reasonable. <laughs> Thanks, Liam. All right. I'll catch you guys later. All right. Switching now from one Logan Nathan to the other, let's welcome Mr. Ian Logan Nathan to the podcast this evening. Now, I was going to introduce you as the Commissioner of Oaths or the High Commissioner, but uh, you are, in fact, the NT Electoral Commissioner. Welcome, Ian. Good, good evening, Pete. And uh, we've got Chris here, obviously, for Weekends with Walshie. Now, we've just been talking about some of the electoral donations uh, to parties and individuals. So, um, Chris, I'm going to let you do most of the questions because you're well-versed on this better than me. I'll come in with the <laughs> dumb guy questions from time to time. Yeah, well, we'll, do, we'll just have a chat, I guess. Like, so, so Ian, I was, I was telling the guys here about some of the, uh, some of the big kind of takeaways from it, of course, being the, the CLP uh, breaching the act there by not disclosing about 90000 bucks worth of uh disclosures that they didn't uh put out there and then you had uh you know the uh, the independent member you had the cfmeu who really caused a lot of issues there and just basically told the auditors that they weren't going to to work with them and that therefore they couldn't determine whether or not they had uh lived up to their reporting requirements under the act which is a kind of big you know given the territorians and and its institutions the finger on that but, uh, you know, overall, I, I, I look at the, the thing and it says overall conclusion in the report, there was a satisfactory level of compliance with the provisions of the act in relation to returns and electo electoral expenditure for selected political party candidates, parties, associated entities and third party campaigners with respect to the elections. But I mean, the, 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 the things that the, the non-compliance issues, I guess, were, were pretty serious, though, weren't they? I mean, um, Chris, this is the first time we've had these new disclosure requirements. Uh, it's the first election since major changes um, to the Act in this regard. So in, in regard to in, in relation to the cap, 
um, separate accounts, um, more donor returns. So our focus has certainly been on assisting all the political participants to comply. Um, the report shows that uh, most of them did. Um, you mentioned the CLP in terms of their non-compliance. As soon as we released the return and, and the uh, reports today, uh, those returns arrived and they're now updated on our on our website. Um, so in relation, so in relation to um, the CFMEU and and uh, yeah, look, we will certainly be uh, writing to them um, and uh, seeking some answers as to uh, why they haven't provided the requested information, and uh, you know, and see how they'll be res they'll be responding. You know, what we're trying to do by making this report live and and showing it as is is that um, the electoral commission is checking these returns. They're not just relying on the parties and the candidates of doing the right thing. Um, they have to show banks, bank statements, they have to show vouchers, they have to uh, show verifiable data to show that uh, what's in their return is actually true. Oh, yeah. And look, I, I think it's great. I think that, that this needs to be done probably after every election, doesn't it? And um, and maybe even further, but in terms of other things. But look, I get what your point is saying that, uh, that, that there were new kind of policies. If maybe you want to sum that up for people. There were new new guidelines to follow in this one, and I guess overall, for the most part, because there were that many changes that they did, they did comply generally. But of course, when they didn't, it was pretty big. But yeah, what were some of those changes? So the biggest change that we had, uh, Chris, was that there was now a cap on election expenditure. So before there was no cap, people could spend how much money they had, uh, but now there's a cap of forty thousand dollars per seat. So if you're a party that's running in all 25 seats, uh, you've got a, a pool cap of a million dollars that you could expend at this election. So for the first time, we had to look at the expenditure of all parties and all candidates uh, to make sure that they complied with the cap. Uh, there were also other kind of, rest um, not restrictions, but um, obligations under the Act that you had to open up a separate bank account um, and all funds related to the election had to go into that account and had to be expended from that account. Um, and we had access to the data from that account to make sure that people uh, were, were complying. Uh, there were also uh, additional uh, obligations, as, as you've reported in the past. Um, without these changes, expenditure that occurred in July uh, and August, um, just before the election, would not have actually been released until March 2022. Um, yeah. so, yeah. so, 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 so this has all been brought a lot forward, right? Yeah. Um, more timely and more returns that parties have got to comply with. Yeah, and that, that's all positive stuff because you want that transparency there. I wonder, though, some of you mentioned that, the, um, the cap on the spending for each electorate. Now, one of the issues the BDO report raises here is that the third party, you still got third party campaigners, that, that that's an issue, that they can... They could essentially get a third party spending however much they like on a candidate. And because the third party is doing it, not the candidate, that that spending cap doesn't apply. So where do you go with that? How do you fix that? Okay. Our position has been very clear on this, uh, Chris, uh, publicly. Uh, when the government put out the uh, draft legislation, we said that there should be a cap on third party campaigners. Um, because exactly as you say, that you can just circumvent the cap. Um, you can get someone else to spend money on your behalf. Um, and and that certainly removes the, the level playing field. Uh, the, the, what we didn't know is what should that cap be? Um, and the, the, the decision 
um, of of uh, government and the parliament was that we wouldn't have a cap for the last uh, election, um, but we would release our election report. That election report would basically detail, well, who are the third-party campaigners, how much money are they expending, and what is an appropriate cap for third-party campaigners. Yeah. Okay. Do you do you have a figure in mind you can share with us? That? Well, I mean, w- what we can say is that um, what we proposed be, uh, before the election was to sort of say, look, pick a figure that's a reasonable figure, and we thought if there's forty thousand per seat, um, then it should be a forty thousand cap on on third party campaigners. Mm, okay. Okay. So so that gets into into what you're working on now, right? Like you haven't released that that report yet. In terms of now, the recommendations, yeah. No, that's correct. So we're drafting the election report now, uh, and that's uh, scheduled to be tabled in Parliament in May. Okay. How many of these recommendations that the BDO gave here, some to you, I guess, uh, uh, how many of these recommendations will you adopt and put in this report? Well, uh, you have to be a little bit more specific here, uh, Chris. Just Do you want to kind of... I mean, refer to um, any specific recommendations. I mean, I don't particularly know exactly how much there are in here. Um, well, certainly the third party one was one, but there was also, uh, I'm just trying to see, the NTEC may wish to pursue the political party in relation. I mean, I guess, have we have we got into that? Are you pursuing any of these people who, and what, what exactly would that look like if you did pursue them? Well, I mean, the first thing to pursue is that we would be we would be writing to them um, and and seeking some answers as to why they haven't complied or provided the the, uh, the requested information. Receive, you know, uh, seek a response. Um, if we don't get a response, then, you know, there certainly are penalty provisions under the Act uh, that can be enforced. Okay. What, what, what do you take out of this, though? I mean, overall, what, what do you as the Commissioner take out of it and what needs to be fixed? Um, look, there certainly are a few issues that need to be fixed. Um, I think the third-party campaigners uh, is... Certainly, a, uh, a, a an issue that uh, that that needs to be addressed. I, I, another um, recommendation that um, BDO has raised is about the issue about electorate allowances. Uh, now, that's not something under the Electoral Act, uh, but certainly, if we're looking towards a level playing field, uh, that's certainly uh, an area that we will be looking to and making recommendations in relation to um, how we can make it more of a level playing field uh, when. Um, when people are, are, are standing against uh, sitting members. Yeah, and that's what we were just talking about with the guys. Um, I've just noticed the wording in that, though. This, so they referenced it as electorate office resources for campaigning purposes, right? Uh, so incumbent candidates using electorate office resources for campaigning. Now, it, does that include that? It sounded to me like it was more staff in the office and what their responsibilities or roles are during an election. And they, I know it said that they should get another separate office to use during the election, but you're saying that that does include electorate allowances and how those are spent. Well, I'm, I'm not exactly sure in relation to your question, but uh, an electorate office is not a political office. Um, and the, the, the regulations um, that are released by by the by, by legislative assembly uh, makes, it, makes, makes it clear that you can't do any electioneering from your electorate mm. office. Yeah. Um, so th- that's um, that's something that w- we don't police. Um, that's a responsibility f- responsibility f- of, of legislative assembly. Uh, but we certainly want to make sure that uh, people comply. They can't use the resources they get um, from having a, an electorate office um, for purposes in relation to uh, electioneering for the campaign. 
do they uh, do they Ian? Look, uh, I mean, um, Peter, it's 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 a, obviously uh, a sensitive issue. Uh, we certainly received um, you know some complaints uh, um, in regard it, but without any proof. Mm. Uh, but I think what it is is that uh, we've gone from a a regime where there was no cap on election expenditure, so people could put whatever resources they want to to, mm. to now to now having a cap um, to create more of a level playing field. Um, and in that regard, certainly, um, you know, the use of electorate allowances, we certainly will be looking in terms of what other jurisdictions do um, to ensure that, you know, there is a level playing field. And that's the whole point of uh, political disclosure and these reforms so that, uh, you know, it's a fair contest. Mm. Yeah, because it's not it's not. Yeah, it's not fair like that. that, that, that they would have this this kind of war chest to, to draw from the, the incumbent MLAs. Over and above, I mean, they don't need donations from anybody at that point. They've got the, the chest of money right there. So where I want to take you on that, too, though, is is in a, in a little further into it more. Um, I know it says that the food and accommodation and things like that don't need to be disclosed. But if it's public money, is that something that we should be looking at? If, if a politician, if an incumbent MLA is using public money to campaign. Now, as I understand it, there's nothing currently illegal about that. It certainly is advantageous to the to, to whoever's in there and using the money, the, the incumbent, uh, over and above what, what their opponents would be able to do. But is that something that, that, that we should be looking at too? Well, uh, just let me clarify something here, um, Chris, is that in relation to uh, any electorate allowances can't be used for political purposes. So the money that we're looking at here is not public money, right? These are donations or, or, or funds that the parties have, have, have generated themselves. Yeah. Um, look, in relation to what you say in relation to food, it, look, it's just a uh, – look, at, we checked with other jurisdictions in relation to that, to how they manage this. It's because it's, it's just so difficult to, to administer. You know, how do we tell whether people have bought, you know, 100 sausages for a barbecue for, for the community or whether, you know, that, that, that they bought 100 sausages because they've got all the troops together and they're having a meeting and, and, they're, and, they're, and they're having, a, a, you know, they've provided some sausages as they, uh, as, as, as they have their meeting. So, look, it's, it's yeah. a kind of like common sense approach to say, look, l- let's just keep food out of it um, and that'll be excluded from the cap. The, in relation to travel, um, the, the issue with travel r- relates to really remote divisions because obviously a significant portion of your cost um, in campaigning in those divisions is going to be um, uh, travel uh, and accommodation. So to make it equal with the, with the urban divisions, the decision was made to um, by Justice Mansfield uh, in his report that uh, the most equitable way of doing it was by excluding travel and accommodation uh, from the definition of electoral expenditure. But that, but that that that's problematic in a way because you still have the incumbent MLA who has the public resources, and especially when you're looking at a minister who can say who can say, for instance, you know, oh, I've got we've got to do an announcement, we've got to open this this health clinic here in this remote community. I need to go there and oh while I'm while I'm at it I'm going to take the local candidate for that electorate there and then you've got public money being expended on on campaigning and that 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 certainly can't be permitted. Look, I mean Chris I, I you you couldn't talk, you're talking in the hypothetical there all I can say in, in relation well, to you, well all I can say in relation read, read, to read, read read the independent on Monday 
early <laughs> next week because I'm going to give you the real example of what was going on there. But yeah, look, I, I hear you. Yeah. Yeah. Look, you know, I suppose uh, what we say is that, you know, there's caretaker conventions, right, that all parties, in, um, including the government of the day, uh, are, are aware of and, you know, that people need to comply um, to in, in relation to when we are in caretaker mode in regard to, um, you know, how the public service and, 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 and how... Um, uh, ministers and and uh, ministerial officers behave d- during during that period. Yeah. All right. Well, look, it's it's going to come up, and it's going to be something that we need to look at. But I guess overall, before we leave this, uh, and I want to ask you just about two other quick things from the election time. But first, just your final thoughts on the BDO report. And is that is that about what you expected? And are you happy overall, or what? Look, overall, I am happy, Chris. Um, you know, you, you don't have that many questions. That means it can't be that bad. So uh, that's always <laughs> a, that's always a good indicator. Well, um, it is what it is, right? It's, it's, yeah. it's just factual, and they've breached the act in all of these places. I mean, there's nothing you can do about that. I mean, I find that really troubling and disturbing that a major party like the CLP would 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 pocket, you know, not disclose ninety thousand bucks, and then the CFMEU and this independent candidate as well. I find that all very troubling. But. So look, you know, um, look overall, I'm happy. There's a couple of small things that we need to uh, clear, uh, clean up. What is absolutely clear to us uh, is that there needs to be significant changes to the act in this regard. Uh, this whole thing was extremely complicated to administer from our part and from the um, uh, candidates and parties. No one ever contemplated that there would be a by-election in the year of an election. So there were returns all over the place. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, parties were confused. We were confused. It was just, um, um, you know, you, you know, you kind of put the legislation through, and you and you you kind of think it through. But until you actually run an election and you see all these kind of scenarios occur, um, that needs to be um, uh, cleaned up. Some of the some of the issues that you mentioned in terms of, you know, what what is in the definition of political expenditure or election expenditure. Uh, we, there needs to be more clarification in uh, in in that regard. Uh, you know, some of the things that um, you know we have raised is well, if travel is excluded, is that just limited to travel within the NT? Uh, what about interstate travel? Um, so, so some of these things that uh, we're certainly exploring further, we'll be making some recommendations in the uh, uh, electoral report, uh, in the election report, to um, to basically tighten it up and and uh, and make it even stronger for the 2024 election. Excellent. Look, I, and Ian, I know that maybe we should talk about this because it, it plays prominently somewhat in my story. But the uh, and and the guys had a laugh about it earlier in that way that we do when when institutions are being disrespected like this. But the independent candidate who decided that they didn't want to disclose this loan because they didn't want to give up the anonymity of the person giving the money, which is, you know, just complete opposite to what this is all about, disclosing financial. Can you explain a little bit? I know you didn't name them and maybe a lot of people, I mean, it could be, it could be a lot of people. I'm guessing it's not one of the four that's named in the report. It might be someone else, but uh, can you explain just why that wasn't named? I think people are curious about that. Yes. Look, uh, one thing I need to make clear is just uh, um, if you give a loan, uh, the loan does not have to be in the public domain. It's just the fact that there has a, a, a loan has been given. You don't have to provide details. We wouldn't provide details um, on our website. Uh, a loan is different to a uh, to a donation. What we require is confirmation that uh, this is a legitimate loan, 
um, and that there's a, a register and the terms of the loan are, are, are documented so that it's a, a, a bona fide um, loan. Yeah. So, okay. so, so so that's our requirement. <laughs> so what there is is that I, um, in going through this, that there's an unintended consequence in the Act that um, – uh, you know, if you were a trust or if you were a company, then you would have to disclose those details. But it, it the, the definition doesn't include individuals, so uh, that's just some tidying up in the act that we will have to do, and it's certainly a recommendation that we would be making that the act gets amended, so that uh, so that it, so that it, so it does cover loans from an individual. That that was the scenario. Well, uh, uh, yeah. Yes. Do you remember? Do you remember that years ago? Um, it was Graham Lewis days with the CLP and he showed up and he told Nathan Barrett, here, I got $10,000 in a loan for you um, for the campaign. And I mean, that was really kind of questionable at the time. And when we broke that story, um, a lot of people were saying, what the hell is going on? I mean, they're, they're giving this guy money. Does he, is he paying it back? I mean, but th there's no disclosure of that. You're saying, I mean, should there be, though? shouldn't that be public or who's funding? I mean, it, it, you could call a donation, a, a, a loan, Essentially, and then you don't have to disclose that you're giving it. Well, you have we well, have to pay it back. So l let me say well, in the case, okay, in, in the case that you uh, uh, mentioned there in in relation to the the previous member for Blaine, um, those funds were repaid, and he provided confirmation that 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 money was repaid. Um, okay. So uh, this is just this is. Okay. This is how these things are, are administered, um, uh, Chris, where, uh, you know, what we are checking is to make sure that if the loan is not repaid, then it does become a donation and then it has to be disclosed. So yeah. that, that, yeah. That, that, that's, that's really our, our obligation here. But my God, the, the, the optics of that, right, is that uh, you've given money to somebody that if they win, they'll pay it back. But then if they owe you, not, I mean, you're really essentially... I mean, they literally owe you, but they may feel that they owe you in other ways too. And just yeah, is that something that we can kind of clean up a bit? Look, oh, it's it, it's a it's a difficult area, Chris. Like, uh, you, you know, yeah. what the act says is that donations have to be uh, uh, declared, um, and and if they're over the threshold, they need to be in the public domain. Uh, the requirements for loans are different, and this is just not some anomaly in the NT. Uh, this is like Australia wide in, in regard to how these matters are dealt with. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think we need some more. Well, just, just, that. I mean, just let me say, in in the whole uh, election, uh, uh, there was one loan, so it's mm. not a uh, mm. it's not a significant uh, issue in terms of the vast majority of um, people. If they're going to provide money, it's it's through a donation, not through a loan. Okay. Well, let's hope our discussion here hasn't given anybody any ideas <laughs> right i'm just jesus um all right look leaving that bdo thing and while we got you a couple of things that i wanted to ask you about just relating to the election um we we see now and i mean this was about compliance with financial disclosures but they also these guys the auditors i'd call them from bdo also they've had they had they conducted interviews with candidates with narrow victory margins during the election um, to assess the accuracy and completeness of expenditure that was incurred. Is this something where maybe next time we can look at, while you've got the people there and you're questioning them, is there other things we can maybe be asking them about instead of just the, 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 the disclosures of the returns and stuff? Like, you know, I'm thinking about allegations that were made during the campaign that, you know, for instance, Labor was operating, they had an NT government email address, right? Like, like on the NT government server, that that they were using for campaign purposes to give out uh, 
I think it was the, the postal vote stuff. Is that like, are, are there still some of the issues that are outstanding from the election that, you, that you're looking at now? I mean, Chris, I want to make it very clear here that, you know, we administer the Electoral Act. So, you know, when we get BDO or whoever we get to do this, we're looking at things that are covered under, under, un, under the Electoral Act. So in relation to, you know, where, what the source of some email is and stuff like that is, is really not a matter for the Electoral Act. Uh, it's not something that, 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 that um, it's, yeah, it's certainly, it's not considered uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as an, as an, as an issue. Um, okay. Look, you know, the, the stuff that we're looking at in terms of like the broader things is, you know, internet voting, you know, the fact, um, you know, w one thing that we should be aware of is that uh, five people from uh, over five territorians based overseas had their vote counted in this election. Um, mm. Because, you know, That's with COVID. That's not a good figure. Yeah. No, no, it's not a good figure, <laughs> right? Uh, um but because with COVID and with uh, and you know and with reduced uh, uh, plane, um, you know there was just no way that people can get a hard copy um, um, uh, vote and return it in, in 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 the stipulated time. Even if they even if we send it on the first day, uh, it just it just wasn't going to happen. So you know we really need to. The ACT had a system in place uh, that allowed people overseas to be able to cast their vote over the internet. And we seriously need to start looking at these options. And if one thing that COVID has, um, you know, it's kind of taught us is that, um, you know, sometimes you just can't, you know, I'm not bagging Australia Post, but, you know, sometimes things are out of their hand and, and you know, they can't deliver how, how they would hope to deliver. And uh, unless you have plan B, um, you know, which can't be a carrier pigeons, uh, you, 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 you've, got to, you've, you've got to develop some alternatives. So these are the things that we'll be exploring to, um, you know, to improve our service and, and, you know, just make sure that, you know, more Territorians vote. I mean, the biggest issue in, in this election is that, you know, turnout was still around 75%. Um, mm. You know, a quarter of people are still not participating and, and uh, you know, how do we turn that around? Yes, yes. No, that's an issue now. And one of the things you bring up here, I think the biggest the biggest complaint that I've heard and talking to people about this past election, the August 2021, uh, was the postal votes. And now, are, are you looking into that? Like, I know the ICAC's looking into some of the other stuff. Are you guys looking into, the, you know, this was the first time, and if you can talk about that, where, you know, essentially it allowed people to post their votes after the election day. And in fact, you know, anecdotal reports of that happen a lot. And, and in those writings where you've, you've got narrow victories, I mean, that's, that's got to be troubling. Are you looking into that or is that up to the ICAC? So, look, I mean, Chris, we looked, at, we looked at that when we received the postal votes. What the Act says is that you have to vote um, before 6 p.m. on Election Day. So, you know, if you're living out on a, on, a, on a station and you get your postal ballot on the Friday plane, uh, you can vote as long as you vote before 6 p.m. on the Saturday. You can put it on the plane that comes on Monday and, 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 and it comes back. That person doesn't have any alternative. That person is basically on, on the back of the envelope. He, he is, is, they are signing their name. Uh, they are giving a date and a time. Um, at which that they sign their name, saying, and uh, you know, if that time is a, there's and no date witness, is, but there's no witness anymore. There used to be. 
Yeah, look, and the, the, the witness provision was removed, uh, Chris, because what happened in the 2016 election is that there were about 400 votes that were disallowed because people got confused, right, in the sense they either didn't include a witness or they signed where the witness should sign or one of them was left blank. Um, and we were just, you know, disenfranchising a whole lot of uh, electors because of an administrative issue. What we do now to try to... Um, um, you know, make it easy for people to comply is when we receive those postal votes, we check their signature against their signature on 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 their initial enrolment form to make sure that it matches. So there's an additional yeah. test, right? In uh, in addition to you know that they are signing a, a an attestation that they have complied. So you know, if I no one has provided me any evidence that any postal ballot that we received um, in that election um, was completed after 6 p.m. on the Saturday. Okay. Okay, but if, yeah, okay. I'm just thinking, I mean, is this something that needs to be looked at, though? I mean, if you're, you're talking about the email thing, is that a better way of doing this, or is this just something here that we'll have to do forever with the postal vote? And it, should it be improved? Or can, it, can there be stricter regulation? But. Well, look, it's look. It certainly um, uh, can be improved. You, you know, as you've commented on a regular basis, it takes a long time to get a final result of the election. It's not like lotto. We don't know at five past eight who's won, um, and that's because predominantly we're waiting for the postal votes um, in those marginal seats. Um, so, you know, if we had an electronic option, then th that removes all that. Right. Um, if people, if people out in the bush and people overseas, um, if they could have an electronic option to be able to vote, then that cuts off at 6 p.m. on Saturday, um, yeah. and yeah. and and uh, and you know, and we would have a um, uh, you know, a, certainly a a result in a much more timely manner. But it's these systems aren't cheap, Chris. Right. Um, you know, and it's not as though I can just go down to Office Works and just pick one up and. Uh, <laughs> And, uh, and 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 let it go. So that you know, there there is an investment, some time, and you know, and anything that you do online these days is that you know the cyber cyber security risks um, that, that need to be considered and stuff like that. All all all, all have to be factored in. Is is that something that's going to be in your final report? And when's that report coming up? So, look, absolutely, we're going to be canvassing those issues, and uh, we're scheduled to um, uh, table that report in the May sittings. Okay. I, 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 yeah, that's okay. That's great. I, I'm really curious. It's just something that struck me there about 400 people votes weren't counted in 2016. I, I didn't know that. I don't know if that came up before. But well, that's. that's that's yeah. in our 2016 election report, if you'd read it, Chris, right? Yeah. Um, okay. yeah. He was busy that, that day. <laughs> right. uh, I think I was. I was busy a lot during that time. But um, yeah, no, all right. Well, we look forward to this this report in May here, and we'll see. But um, yeah, and look, I, look, the BDO report, I think this is a good thing, and I'm glad that you guys uh, hired the outside firm and that you're you're providing that scrutiny to these people and ensuring that when they when they get caught doing something, you know, that was that was a question that, that Leon had. There was a UP. It was how strict are the penalties? Yeah, maybe that's something Ian can answer for us just quickly here. Well, I, I mean, we received the report yesterday, Chris. You know, in the uh, in 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 terms of our values of openness and transparency, it was released straight away, uh, um, and uh, yeah. you're certainly aware of it. But you know, as I said before, we'll be writing to to people who uh, haven't complied and seeking an explanation. And once we receive that explanation, then we'll have to determine, you know, what course of action is appropriate. 
Man, someone's going to jail. Uh, I, th- I thought you were going to say the fines went out this morning. <laughs> hey, Ian, I've got a couple of questions for you. One is, um, is it at all fishy that the CLP uh, got all their ducks in a row so quickly after the report was released? <laughs> I don't think I don't think fishy is not the word that I'd use. It's just that we had a deadline of um, close of business on Tuesday. Uh, and we made that very clear to everybody that uh, uh, what we received at that date, we would be getting uh, the report the next day and it would be uh, publicly available the following day. You know, um, <laughs> once the report gets released, right, and it's all in, in, in the public eye, things, my emails sort of like picked up, right, right yeah. as, uh, as, uh, as, as, as people were uh, wanted to ensure that they complied, right? So, um they missed the deadline, uh, you know. They missed the deadline by by by, by a day and a bit. Right. Right. And but, but but the correct return is now on our website. Okay. Is that okay. not a, not a hard deadline? <laughs> well, no. Uh, look, uh, uh, the deadline was uh, Tuesday close of business, right? Um, and you will see that on our website, we've got it very clear in terms of the date that the return was received. Uh, by it, it, all amended returns are dated. Okay, fair enough. And are you considering buying any of those internet voting machines from South America? Uh, no, 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 no. Uh, yeah, look, uh, uh, yeah, certainly, um, you know, internet voting is being looked at on a national stage in terms of a national system, but, um, you know, it's some time off. Um, and, you know, I suppose my immediate concern is that if, if some time off means uh, past 2024, uh, mm. We need to have some interim measure uh, to give more Territorians the opportunity to vote, right? You just, you've seen this result at the election. You know, we had so many marginal seats, right? Just a, a splattering of votes here and there uh, could have uh, 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 changed the numbers. Um, mm. and, uh, and, you know, as we always say, every vote counts, especially in the Northern Territory when the seats are so small. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yes. Do you, do you have uh, this is completely off the you know off the spectrum of what you're here to talk about but did you sit back and watch that stuff in the US just shaking your head thinking what on earth is going on here I think I follow that election more closely than I follow the territory election <laughs> <laughs> right, I think we yeah. all did <laughs> it was just riveting stuff yeah that'd be like your ultimate fantasy wouldn't it I would love to go to the states one day and and uh, see that firsthand you yeah. know when it's COVID safe. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Ian, I, I'm just I'm just thinking about one other thing here that I should probably ask you before we say goodbye on this, but is is there anything that – I know Mansfield did his report, but is there any way that, that we may look at banning all political donations at some point? And is that, is that something you'd recommend? Or? I mean, what we recommended in – our submissions to Mansfield um, and when these uh, legislation was put up is that to ban political donations, you need some sort of public funding mm. because it has to be, it, it costs money to, to, uh, to run political parties and to, and to run campaigns. That's so part of the problem. Yeah. Well, yeah. And that, yeah. so, you know, so it, it either comes from, from, from donations or it comes from, uh, from, from the public. Uh, it's only, all other jurisdictions, I think, with the exception of Tasmania, and they're currently looking at it, um, have some 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 type of public funding um, scheme. 
Um, so, you know, we're certainly in su supportive of that. We think that uh, it's in the interest of democracy that there's less reliance on donations. Um, and the only way that can be done is that there is some robust public um, funding scheme um, to, 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 to compensate that. Yeah, okay. I think that that is something that we should all be having that conversation around. Let's look at that. Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Right, Ian, I think you've exhausted uh, Walsh's question pit and you've certainly exhausted mine. So uh, really appreciate you coming on and explaining all about these political donations and, and the wash-up from the BDO report. Happy to do so, Pete. Yeah, thanks, Ian. No worries, Chris. Have a good evening. Walshy, I guess uh, we'll catch you again next week and uh, try not to topple any governments in the meantime, okay? <laughs> I'm not making any promises. Who knows? <laughs> it's going to happen. A week's a long time in anti-politics, as we've seen, so it'll be fun next week. Looking forward to seeing you again. Cheers, mate. That was Chris Walsh from the NT Independent Online Newspaper, the weekend edition of the Territory Story podcast. Back again next week. We'll catch you then. You've been listening to the Territory Story Podcast with Leon Logan Nathan and Peter Gowers. For more episodes, search Territory Story Podcast on all leading podcasting platforms or go to territorystory.com. The Territory Story Podcast, thanks to Opie Dennis Digital Marketing, your local digital marketing agency.